Well, good morning again. Hope you're doing good. Thank you for being with us on this beautiful Memorial Day weekend, even though yesterday was rainy. Um, I had to wear jeans yesterday, and I was not happy. But I don't know. It's just, I get to a point in life where I tell my wife, once it hits 60, it, the jeans get retired. Uh, so, <clears throat> so the past couple weeks, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be talking about his life and ministry throughout this summer. And we're excited to share all kinds of stuff about Paul with you. I said Paul, Peter, uh, Peter over the next couple of weeks. Now, Peter was the one of the 12 disciples, and he was actually one of um, Jesus's best friends. And the really cool thing about Peter, and we've been kind of talking about it the past couple of weeks, is that he just, he had all these flaws like he had a lot of things that he really did not do well, and a lot of decisions he made, he didn't really do the best at what he was supposed to do. And yet Jesus says this about him in Matthew 16. He goes, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, this is a man that followed Jesus for three years. He left his family and his livelihood to go do that. He witnessed miracles and healings. He watched people being raised from the dead. And then when he heard Jesus speak, he spoke, Jesus spoke with power and authority. And then he watched Jesus defy all the religious elite, you know, lift up the margins of this world, and prove time and again that he was the Son of Man. And there's this really cool story that happens in the New Testament. We're not going to dive deep into it, but you know, Peter, John, and James are hanging out with Jesus on a mountaintop, and Jesus actually reveals his heavenly body. He transforms himself into this amazing being, and it's a really cool story. And only those three men got to see that happen. And so Peter is a big part of the Jesus story. He's a big part of the early Jesus movement. And yet, one of the things that Peter wrestles with and fails to so often is guilt. And we're going to wrestle through one of his biggest mistakes and look at what we can learn from him. So guilt is what he wrestles with, but grace is what conquers that. Now, grace is simply God's unearned, unmerited favor. You know, and he, Jesus proved his love for us by coming to this earth and dying for our sins. Now, if you're new to, to Scripture or, or, or the church idea, I mean, the Bible is broken up into two big sections, the Old Testament and New Testament. And what I love about the Old Testament, it kind of paves the way for Jesus. So there's the creation story, and, you know, and God makes everything, and then we mess up as humanity, and we sin, and the rest of the Old Testament is God paving the way to return to him and us constantly messing up over and over and over again. And if, if you've ever read through any parts of the Old Testament, it's like, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. It just keeps on happening. And then Jesus comes to earth to make, become the ultimate sacrifice, to be the, 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 the thing that changes everything. And what I like about how God chose to bring Jesus to earth is that he didn't choose, so he didn't choose like the easy route. So, you know, I always imagine if I was God and I was going to send my son, I'd like send him down. Anyone see the original Terminator? You know, send down the Terminator, fully grown, ready to go. 
and like just go die and, and do your thing and, and everything's fine. That's not the route that God chose. God sent Jesus here on earth as a baby. A baby that needed 100% of mom and dad to make sure they survived. On top of it, he had diaper rash and terrible, terrible twos and, you know, he had to learn how to walk. And then, and then he goes into teenagehood and he had all the emotions and the up and downs of teenagers. You know, he had acne. I'm sure he had disagreements with mom and dad, even though how do you disagree with like your, your mom, you know, Joseph and Mary, you know, that's God. Like, are you going to discipline God? I mean, I, I, it always blew my mind. And then as a young adult, he had to figure out his world. And here's what Hebrews chapter 4 says. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one that is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so I love the fact that, that God sent his son to be a part of everyday human life so that we can empathize with God and God can empathize with us, and it's a big deal. And I believe God did that on purpose. God wanted to know us better. He wanted to, to, to really understand where we are. He wanted to build this relationship with us. And I think that's the, the biggest difference between all the other world religions is God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't demand you to do a thousand things. He doesn't demand to, to give up all you have. He just wants a relationship with you. And that's what makes it so special. And so we have this guy named Peter who follows Jesus for all these years, and he sees all these major things, and we're going to discuss his biggest mistake. Now, we're not supposed to be defined by our biggest mistakes, right? We want to make sure that's like the last thing we think about. But at the same time, I believe that we learn a ton through failure. A failure is a great teacher. And so if God's grace is, you know, unearned favor, guilt, guilt is the thing that keeps us up at night. Guilt is the thing that we look at when we make bad moral choices. Guilt comes through our feelings when we do something wrong. And we've been convinced, no matter how long you've been doing the church thing, that guilt has more power than grace. And so often, instead of embracing God's grace, we allow the, the, the weight of guilt to be louder. And so as we discuss this story this morning, I want you to, to keep that in your heart. The question of, is your guilt more powerful than his grace? And so before we get to Matthew uh, chapter 26 this morning, you know, we got to set it up a bit. So, you know, this is the, the, the day before Jesus is crucified. He has this amazing event. It's Passover. Has all the disciples over to uh, have that last Passover meal. He, he knows that his time is short with his followers. And so Jesus is trying to give as much information as possible uh, before he goes away. And so he, he, he tells, talks about communion and, and sets that up. He serves them by washing their feet. He does these amazing things. And then he says, listen, I'm about to die. And when I die, you're going to scatter like the wind. 
And these men who have followed him for all these years are like, absolutely not. And Peter, like we said last week, Peter has a tendency to talk a big game and put his foot in his mouth all the time. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, I will never, ever do that. And here's the response. Matthew 26, verse 34. Truly I tell you, Jesus answers, this very night before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples agreed. Have you ever done something like this in your life? Maybe not like disown Jesus. But something you know you shouldn't be doing, you're involved with. I mean, as kids, we, like, you know, we tell mom and dad, hey, yeah, I'm not going to eat that cookie because you told me not to and I didn't finish my dinner. And yet you like, sneak around back and you get the cookie jar and then you think you're, on, you're, you're clear to go and then you turn around and, and there's mom and you're busted. Or, or you're a teenager who you tell your, your dad, hey, listen, I'm going to my buddy's house and you go for about five minutes. And then you go down the street and you use your fake ID to go buy that beer from that gas station. As you walk out of that gas station, there's dad. You promise your spouse over and over and over, I'm going to fix that thing, whatever that thing is. And then you know exactly what that thing is in your house. And you've been promising. And it's Memorial Day weekend, so you have plenty of time. I guarantee you on Tuesday, you're like, oh, I forgot. We all have these stories, and they're personal, and the things that we do, and, and things that we don't do. And those are maybe silly and small. But there's that addiction that hasn't derailed you yet. There's that person you've been flirting with at work that you haven't taken it to the next level yet. There's a thing you click on your, your laptop that no one's seen. There's the financial issues you've been kind of like trying to push around, push over. And even though in the middle of all that, you see the red flags, you know the potential at best is that it becomes a problem, and at worst, it will destroy your world, and yet you still keep moving forward. You still see those, those blaring red flags, and yet you still continue to take your steps forward. And that's kind of where Peter's at. Peter was warned in advance Listen, you're going to screw up big time. And instead of listening to the warning sign, he just kept going forward. How often do we have those minefields that we just continue to step in? Luke 22, verse 54. A servant girl saw him sitting there by the firelight. She looked close to him and said, this was the man that was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Verse 58. A little time later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Another hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow it was with him, for he was a, he's a Galilean. Verse 60. Peter replied, man, I don't know who, what you're talking about. And just as he spoke that last sentence, the rooster crowed. 
And he turned and he looked at the Savior. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord. Before the rooster crowed today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, I think the, the hardest part, the thing that hits me hardest is verse 61. When Jesus makes eye contact, like, you know, you got home and you're, you know you've done wrong and there's your dad. Your dad looks at you and he doesn't say that he's angry, he says he's disappointed. You have that moment. It's heartbreaking. The landmines finally explode and you're left wondering what to do next. Where, where do you pick up the pieces of a broken marriage? Where, where do you pick up the, the pieces of a lost job or, or, or broken relationship with your children? Uh, how do you get through the mental and physical you know, breaking of your heart and mind when, you, when things kind of come to roost? We wish we can go back in time, but there's no DeLorean for us to hop in and go 88 miles per hour. We can't go back in time to fix that. On top of it all, we're spiritually broken. We laugh at the thought of a God who loves us because we know what we've done. We, we, we may have been being, doing the church thing for years and we keep on doing it over and over. And even though we come, we're sitting here and we hear the songs, we even sing with it. Inside, we are broken because we need rescued. But here's the thing about what's happening in our world right now. Our world has convinced us that we don't need a rescue. Our world has convinced us that you can go on without spiritual healing. That God really isn't that powerful or that relevant enough to come into your life and do something. We've been convinced that we need to fix it ourselves. We've been convinced that we don't need a, a God because honestly, God's just kind of up there doing his own thing. He doesn't really care. That's if you even believe in God to begin with. And as devastating as, as our own actions are to our world, this mentality that we have gone into as a society is even more devastating. So instead of, of filling the spiritual hole that can only be filled by Jesus, we're filling it with the PTA, with CrossFit. We're filling it with our jobs and our careers. We're filling it with sex, drugs, and pornography. We're filling it with, with toxic relationships. We're filling it with things that can never be filled or fulfilled by. Then we try to fix it ourselves. We're trying to do something that we were never meant to do. We remove God from his rightful place, the center of all things. And every time we have put something in there, the guilt mounts up, the shame builds up, and we go farther from him. What's happened in our society is we are the most connected we have ever been as a world, and yet we are the farthest from God because we keep on filling the place he needs to be with everything else. And that's what guilt does. It destroys your story. And honestly, if this was being written in 2021, that's probably where the story should end. But thanks to be the God, that's not the case. There's something more. This video kind of gives you an insight on what that is. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. 
If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out, you know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and she said that the, there was an angel there and the angel said go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay he is risen and so me and John we hightailed it down there and if John says he beat me he's totally lying alright I beat him FYI alright you know and we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is it is empty there's nothing in there you know what I'm saying and I'm like what does this mean what does this mean and John is right there John is so good with words he should write a book he is so good with words and John said don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. Yeah. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Mark 16, verse 4. When they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they lay him. Go tell the disciples and Peter, he's gone ahead to you into Galilee. You will see him just as he told you. Tell the disciples and Peter. So often that could be me. Go tell the disciples and David Ivy that things are fine. Go tell the disciples and David Ivy that he didn't mess up as much as he thinks he did. Go tell David that he's not done yet. Because here's the deal. Because of God's grace, because of Jesus, we can no, are, can no longer be controlled by that guilt. We don't have to be. Because of Jesus, because of God's grace, we can accept that he loves us no matter how far we may feel like we are from him. Because of God's grace, we can now travel our communities, our work, our broken homes, our broken lives, and we can share the same grace and love that changed us. Grace is more powerful than guilt. It always has, always has been. 
but we've convinced ourselves otherwise. We've convinced ourselves that it's not. And so we stand here today wondering what we're going to do as we're weighed down by the shame and guilt that we have. And we have to remember it's never been about you. It's never been about what you can and cannot do. It's never been about what you, you've done or, or, or how you can fix it. It never has been about you. It's always been about Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' love for you, no matter how far you believe you are. And yet we still believe the lie. I'm just as guilty. Just as guilty of believing that, you know, I've been following Jesus pretty much my whole adult life, and I still believe the lie that I, I have to go do some more things to think it right. But yet, Romans chapter 5, which I don't believe one of my favorite, like, things that Paul ever wrote. You see, just at the right time, when we are still sinners, we're still powerless, when we still are, are walking around blind, when we still feel broken, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely does anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person may might, may might dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us with this, that why we are still sinners, he died for us. And I'm telling you this morning, no matter where you are in your life, in your walk, in your personal circumstances, that don't believe the lie anymore because you are free. And that's the beauty of Jesus. And so I want to give you a couple just quick action steps as we go into the rest of this Memorial Day weekend that I hope will help you kind of reset your mind towards grace. The first is get real about what you feel guilty about. That's very difficult because you have to be vulnerable. And I know about how I am. When you're 6'3", 300 pounds, there's nothing vulnerable about you. And I say that with, like, tongue-in-cheek. Of course, you got to be vulnerable. you got to be able to say, I have messed up here. I have one of the things that you can do that is maybe so difficult, look yourself in the mirror, which, you know, for me, because my hair's like always a little shorter, which I made it on purpose because I don't want to look in the mirror every morning. But look yourself in the mirror. Talk to yourself. God, when you pray, say, I'm messed up here. Be real about it. You can't find healing. You can't break the chains of guilt and shame if you're not honest with yourself, not honest where you are. Number two, Remember that guilt is no match for God's love, and he proved that on the cross. He didn't come back from, you know, from that horrible Friday and say, hey, now you got to work for it. No, he rolled the stone away and said, I'm going to come into your life and make you whole. I'm going to make you understand the power of the resurrection. I'm going to break that guilt from you and bring you that grace, the unmerited favor, the thing you did not earn. I'm going to give that to you. And if you have to write it down somewhere, screenshot it on your phone, that, that grace is bigger than guilt, do that. Put it somewhere where you can see it and understand it and put it in your mind over and over again. Number three, keep showing up, keep speaking up. What shame does for so many of us is pushes us away from God. What happens so often is because of that, we, don't, we stop coming to church. We start getting involved with these things because we've allowed our shame to be louder. Don't do that to yourself. 
speak up to someone, talk to someone. Maybe it's a counselor. Pull a counselor aside. If I find a Christian counselor to talk to, pull a pastor aside. Whatever it may be, speak about what's going on. Because I guarantee you one thing, that when you speak out of those things, you talk about outline, you name what they are, you can find healing quickly. That's why when Jesus, when he talked to us about you know, forgiveness of sins, he was very big about, hey, you know, what you need to do is you need to seek forgiveness with me, and then you bring someone into this conversation to continue the, the, the healing. And the, what happens for a lot of us is that we, we don't do the second step. We, we ask Jesus for forgiveness, and that's great, but we don't bring the other person in to truly find healing to keep you accountable, to grow from that. Because when you keep it to yourself, it's just you. And how often do you fail yourself? I know I fail myself every day. Bring someone in. The band's going to come up and play one last song, and we're going to uh, worship here this afternoon. And it's one of my favorite like, current worship songs. The hook of it that, I, that means a lot to me, or there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb coming after me. There's no wall you won't break down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. Because of God's grace, there is no sin or shadow that God will not go into to light up your world to bring you to him. Because of God's grace, there is no, no wall we can't build in front of him that he can't bust through to come after you. Because of God's grace, there is nothing we can do to stop him from breaking the chains of shame and sin. We are still powerless. Jesus died. And grace is alive. Let's pray. God, forgive us for believing that shame and guilt has more power than your grace. And as we lift you up in this song this morning, I ask you to to allow us to wrestle with that, to believe that grace, to, to hold on to it, and not hold on to our own lies and our own mistakes, but make your action the loudest thing. We pray this in your name. Amen.